1: David's woes and how he feels about things. Help me, Lord. They want to kill me. Help me out, Lord. Please, they're after me. You've read the Psalms. Now David's constantly telling the Lord, help me. And then he starts praising the Lord. But David had the Lord with him. The Lord had poured out his spirit upon David, given him the power he needed to do what the Lord had called him to do. And the spirit was not going to leave David because God was with him and God knew all about it. God was not ready to take his spirit Away from David.
0: Have you ever felt like giving up on what you know God has called you to do? If so, you're in good company. David had moments of extreme anguish and discouragement while he was being hunted down by Saul. Today, Pastor Dave will be encouraging you to cry out to God like David did when you feel hard-pressed. And here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 20. As he begins his message, David Goes into Exile. You are assured.
1: David now has been faithfully serving King Saul for quite some time, probably about 10 years. He had killed the giant Philistine, Goliath. He came to Saul and played music for him every time a distressing spirit came upon him trying to soothe his illness. He defeated the Philistines on every occasion that he was sent out to do so, even killing some 200 Philistines To oblige Saul's request that he do so, so that David could marry one of his daughters. Even though he had promised that the person that killed Goliath would receive his daughter's hand. That wasn't enough for him. And even though, I love this part, even though the Lord had anointed David as king, way back in chapter 10. Even though the Lord had anointed David as king, David did nothing to promote himself. He did nothing to rebel against Saul in any way, shape, or form. I love this about David. What does that tell me? He was faithful to God's anointed. He was faithful to whom God had anointed at that time. Even though God had taken the kingdom from Saul, he was still king. And David couldn't touch or couldn't harm God's anointed king. I love that about David, his faithfulness. Spirit of God had left Saul and a distressing spirit had came upon him and his paranoia towards David grew and grew and grew and grew. His distrust towards David led him to want to destroy David and this became a compulsion. It became an obsession to him. He wanted nothing more than David to be dead. But David had two things going for him. David had two things going for him. First and foremost... He knew that the Lord was with him. First and foremost, David was confident that the Lord was going to see him through this. David didn't know how it was going to look. And believe me, as you read the Psalms, many of which take place during this time that we're studying right now, you see David's woes and how he feels about things. Help me, Lord. They want to kill me. Help me out, Lord. Please, they're after me. You've read the Psalms. How David's constantly telling the Lord, help me. And then he starts praising the Lord. But David had the Lord with him. The Lord had poured out his spirit upon David, given him the power he needed to do what the Lord had called him to do. And the spirit was not going to leave David because God was with him and God knew all about it. God was not ready to take his spirit away from David. Even after David sinned with Bathsheba in beautiful Psalm 51, David cries out, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Don't leave me helpless. Don't leave me as an orphan. David knew that if the Lord was with you, who could stand against you if the lord is on your side who could be against you david knew that the lord was going to prevail somehow some way and this became david's confidence and you know i think we're in remiss if this isn't our confidence either if this isn't our confidence in the lord then what are we celebrating what are we worshiping why are we saying the lord is my confidence he's the one that's going to call me through Paul said, and we prayed this, this was in my prayer. Paul said in 1, Corinthians, 1 Philippians, being confident of this. Paul said, I am confident of one thing. He, the Lord, who began a good work in you, Philippians, will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's where Paul's confidence was. Where's your confidence tonight? If your confidence in your bank account, good luck on that one. your confidence in your good looks... Good luck with that one. Now, where's your confidence? Where, where, where are you placing your confidence tonight? It's very important that we place our confidence in the one person that we be confident on, the one person who will never fail, the one person who will never stop working for you, who is always on your side, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's where our confidence has to be. And I don't care what trouble and trial you're going through. I don't care what affliction you're going through. If you're not, if your confidence is not in God, you've placed your confidence in the wrong place. You can place your confidence in doctors all you want. You can place your confidence in medicine, in pills. You can place your confidence in all sorts of things. But if your confidence is not in God, I'm sorry. You are definitely up the wrong tree with that one. Your confidence has got to be in God. David knew this. I think this was one of the things that made David a man after God's heart. He was confident in God. He knew what to do with his sin. He knew how if God was a forgiver of sin. He knew that. Secondly, David had a very faithful friend. David had one really true faithful friend. His name was Jonathan, and he happened to be the son of the king. He was a faithful friend, and the Lord would use Jonathan in a mighty, mighty way to help David escape the king's wrath. David had an advocate with Jonathan, and he knew that. He knew that he was secure in Jonathan. David and Jonathan loved each other with all their soul, it says. They loved each other, so they came up with a plan to test the king. They came up with this plan that they were going to test the king to see if his anger was still against David. We're going to come up with this plan. We're going to do this, 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 and this. And if the king is still angry, it'll come out. So that's what we read as we studied the beginning of chapter 20, last time we met in this venue. We said that, that David and Jonathan came up with this plan. I'm going to miss dinner. I'm not going to come to dinner. I'm not going to come to dinner and sit with the king and the family. That's my plan. I'm going to hide out. If the king misses me, say, You gave me permission to go to my family and worship there. And let's see how the king reacts. That's the plan. If the king reacts poorly, we'll do this. If the king reacts favorably, well, then we know things are pretty good. So that was the plan. That was the plan. So as we continue in chapter 20 today, they start to enact the plan by Jonathan. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying... Let the Lord require it all at the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as much as his own soul. David and Jonathan reaffirmed this covenant. What's interesting here to me is that there doesn't seem to be any sacrifice. You remember the covenant that Abraham made with God in chapter 15 of Genesis? where he had to kill the animals and cut them in half, and they had to put them on the side, and then Abraham and God were supposed to walk through them. Well, that's how they made covenants in those days. That's how they did the covenant. But you remember that beautiful picture where God basically carried Abraham through the covenant. The meaning there was God would keep the covenant. But there's no mention of that. They didn't even sign a document. There was no sort of contract between the two of them. You don't see any of that there. Why? Well, I think it's because the great love they had for the Lord and the great love that they had for each other. They were sure of each other. You have my back, I have your back. They were hopeful to each other. They made a binding agreement. They knew that the Lord was sufficient and it became binding to them. You know, and when I read this, the first thing I thought of is let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say yes, it should mean yes. If you say no, it should mean no. That's binding. That's binding. We do all things as unto the Lord. So that's what I'm thinking here. See, the Bible doesn't forbid the swearing of oaths. It just forbids the deception when you swear of an oath and have your fingers crossed behind your back. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Knowing that you're not going to when you lie and use false words. The Bible is against that. In fact, Proverbs calls lying an abomination to the Lord. So... They make this covenant once again. And in verses 18 and 19 now, Jonathan lays out the details of his plan. Here come the details of his plan in 18 and 19. Then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. Now, when you have stayed three days, go quickly, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by the stone of Azel." Remain by the stone of Azil. You're supposed to go to this place, Jonathan, after three days. You're going to be missed. The king's going to be missed you because you have to be there because it's a new moon. It's a feast time and you need to be eaten with the king since you're one of the king's servants. But you're going to be missed. But go down to this stone of Azil. Interesting that the stone of Azil means the Lord will show the way. The stone of a zeal means the Lord will show the way. David was to stay by the rock that would show him the way. I don't know about you, but my mind went wild when I read this. My mind went wild when I read this because Jesus Christ is the rock who shows us the way. He is the way. You know what? You might be at a crossroads tonight in your life. You might have come here tonight at some sort of a crossroads. You might be worried because you can't figure out where the Lord has you going, what the Lord wants you to do. You cannot figure out the right way that you need to go and you're seeking the Lord's help. You want to demonstrate your faith and you heard something about Texas. You know, gee, should I go to Texas? Should I be one of the ones that volunteered and go down there? Should I times? But many times we desire this type of gift to peer into the future. We want to know what the Lord wants. Lord, what do you want from me? We all want that. We all want to make the right choice. We all want, might be at a crossroads in our life. We're at a place where we don't know which way to go. We have to trust in the rock. We've got to trust in the rock, of zeal. We've got to trust in Jesus to show us the way. And after I read this and looked at this many, many times, immediately, immediately, I, I, I went to the verse that we can all recite by heart. We can all recite by heart. You probably have it on your refrigerator door or someplace in your heart. It goes like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Oh, you want to know the way of the Lord? You know what? You want to know what the Lord's will is for you? Right there. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. There it is. You want to know the words, what the Lord has for you? There it is right there. The end result. He will direct your path. He will direct your path. We put our hope And we put our trust in the one who knows the beginning and the end and everything in between. We put our hope, we put our trust in the one who knows every situation you will ever face. Every situation that's going on in your life right now. The Lord knows the good. The Lord knows the bad. And yes, the Lord knows the ugly. But he loves you. He loves you with a dying love. And he knows the pitfalls that are ahead of you. He knows those things. So why would not we want the Lord to direct our path? Why would we want the Lord to be our guide? Knowing that God would direct my path should inspire great confidence. There we go back to the confidence thing. David was assured that the Lord had everything worked out. David was assured that the Lord had everything in the palm of his hand. We should be that sure too. We should have that confidence because if God is leading me, I know I'm on the right path. Now, Let me tell you something about the path of God that I've learned from some hard, hard experience. It's not always the easiest path. The path that God takes us down is not always the easiest road to take. And if we were given the choice, many of us would choose that easy path. But God doesn't always take us down the easy path, always take us down the easy road. We need direction. Especially today. The world situation is so confusing. People are losing their sense of direction. People don't know which way they're supposed to go. It's like being out in the ocean without a compass. Being out in the ocean without a direction finder. You know how vast and big the ocean is? I go out in the ocean just two miles. I'm like, oh my gosh. Look how big this is. I can't imagine being out miles and miles. I just can't imagine how vast the ocean is. And the Atlantic Ocean is supposed to be smaller than the Pacific Ocean. I can't imagine. It's like being out there. You ever been out there in the ocean without a compass? Without a compass on a cloudy night? On a day when there's no stars? We make many starts. We get involved in different goals. It's hard to go in the direction for a while and then ultimately awaken to the fact that we're lost. So many of us spend so much time going the way that the Lord does not want us to go. And he's a gracious and wonderful God and he'll let you go that way. But he's right there when you turn around. Help! I don't know where I'm going. Come back to him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Looking down about all this frantic confusion, we see the one who sails on the direct course. We're looking at him. How come he's always happy and confident? Because he's trusting in the Lord and he's following the Lord's path. And this is a conditional promise, folk. This is a conditional promise. The condition is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Note it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Note that it doesn't say, trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Trust in the Lord every now and then. No, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, I can say, with all honesty, there are sometimes I don't trust in the Lord with all my heart. And it usually ends up not good. You have to look at in yourself. Right now, today, right now, today, at uh, 7... 43, are you trusting in the Lord with all your heart? With every ounce of your heart, are you trusting? It's easy to go, yeah, I am. But are you really? Are you really trusting in the Lord with all your heart? Sometimes the desire to take things in our own hands is really strong. Sometimes when we're trusting in the Lord and things aren't moving fast enough for us, Lord, how come this isn't happening? I mean, what did we read in one of the Psalms we just read lately when it said, David said, Lord, answer me speedily on this. Put my name on speed dial, Lord, and answer me fast. I need to know it. I mean, sometimes when it doesn't look like it's going as fast as we want it, how many of you do this? Okay, Lord, if you won't do it, I will. But when we wait for him, all of a sudden, in the midst of the storm you're in, you look over him, and he's got the rudder. He's confident, he's steering the boat right through the storm. And he's got it. So many times we're going to go, let me have that rudder for a minute. Okay. You notice every time I get the rudder, the boat goes in circles. Always goes in circles. But when he has the rudder, all of a sudden the storm goes away. And it's calm. At least in my heart, it's calm. The storm may be raging outside, but in my heart, it's perfectly calm. When we look at the study of Scripture, the trust and believe in your heart is Greater than the belief in your head. You've got to trust in your heart. You can't trust in your head. It's got to be heart knowledge. It can't be head knowledge. You can know all the scriptures that you want. You can recite the, the entire book of John verbatim and not trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. I can't understand why God allowed this to happen to me. People are trying to understand God's ways. God didn't ask you to understand. He asked you to believe. He asked you to have faith. Understanding is limited. It's based on the knowledge that we have. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. I want to turn some areas over myself over to Him. I want Him to guide me in some things, but all my ways, I'm not so sure I can do that. Oh Lord, what shall I do now? You acknowledge Jesus Christ as my Lord, my Savior. I am His servant. He will guide me. He will keep me. I will turn everything over to Him every single day as situations arise. Lean upon him, learn from him, and look to the guidance that says he will direct your path. you having a hard time finding your way? Having a hard finding what? The, I mean, so many people come to me and go, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. I don't know what the Lord's telling me. Are you trusting in him in all your heart? Are you acknowledging him in all your ways? Are you looking to him after everything? David knew this. David knew that his heart was towards God and wanted God to direct his path. He wanted to be right in the sight of the Lord. He wanted to be right in the sight of the Lord. This was David's heart's desire. I want to be right in the sight of the Lord. And we're going to ring, we're going to read, if, you ever get, if we ever get the Kings and, and, and Chronicles, we're going to read about all the kings that did evil in the sight of the Lord. All the kings that did evil in the sight of the Lord. David wanted to do right in the sight of the Lord, he wanted to do what was right. What a desire that is to do what was right in the sight of the Lord. That's a great desire. What a, I guarantee that if that's your heart's desires, God will give you that. And he will, through his Holy Spirit, he will let you do that. So we see in verse 20, go back to our study. I knew i get back there. In verse 20, you see that the plan now is going to take effect. In verse 20. He says, after you go to the stone of a zeal, then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And here I will send the lad saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come, then as the Lord lives, there's safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you, go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And he, for, as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord is between you and me forever. And David hid in the field. And when the new moon had come, the king sat down at the feast. The plan's set. David's going to hide in the fields for several days to avoid the king's presence. Jonathan then's going to go out and say, we're going to have some target practice. He's going to bring a servant with him. As the servant went to retrieve the arrows... Jonathan's either going to say, keep going, the arrows are further, meaning David should run away, or come back, come back, the arrows are closer, which means David can come back to the king's palace. So the moon, new moon comes, which is a feast day, and all the servants of the king were required to be at the table. All the servants had to be there. David was a servant of the king. He had to be there. It was required. So let's look at verses 24 through 29. Then David hid in the field. And the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on, on his seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall. I love it. Saul always sat with his back to the wall. <laughs> I love it. He's not too paranoid. And when Jonathan arose, and Abner sat at Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, Something has happened to him. He is unclean. Surely he is unclean. And it happened that the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, "'Why has the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today?' So Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go for our family has a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore he has not come to the king's table. The king obviously notices David's absence and he thinks he's detained because he may be unclean. And he finally questions where David is. Jonathan's reply was that David had family business. Now, what's interesting here, the plan was originally for Jonathan to say his father had called him away. But Jonathan says his brothers commanded that he go to the fief. And in verse 30 through 34, we see the lovely king's response. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established nor your kingdom. Now, therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said, "What should he? Why should he be killed? What has he done? And Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger, ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for, the, for David because his father had treated him shamefully.
0: Sure Although our time is coming to a close for the day, you don't have to stop studying God's word. Feel free to read ahead in the book of First Samuel and find more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. All of Pastor Dave's messages are available to download for free. You can even subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to have updated messages sent right to your computer or phone. Find links at our website. Again, that's assurehoperadio.com. While we'd like to invite you to join us in person for church at Calvary Chapel, Cape May, right now we're following the Lord's guidance and remaining closed. However, we are still holding services online. Join us on Sunday mornings at 10 on Facebook and YouTube. Just follow the links you'll find at assurehoperadio.com. We're also streaming our Wednesday service at 7 p.m. along with Bible study and devotionals each week. It's important to stay connected to church community during this time, so we hope you'll join us. Is there anything we could be praying about for you? Please let us know. Call us at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. Would you pray for us too? Please keep Pastor Dave and all of us at Calvary Chapel Cape May in your prayers, that we'll be wise in our decisions, and that we'll stay in tune with the desires of Christ. Thanks for praying. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next time to continue learning from the book of 1 Samuel, right here on Assure Hope.